Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right, we're going to jump right into a story in John 5, starting at verse 1 today. Uh, This is what John writes. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let me start with a question. Why doesn't Jesus heal everyone by the pool? We're told Bethesda is an area where a large group of people were blind, lame, and paralyzed. A lot of people are suffering. Uh, There were probably people there who had been blind their whole lives, never saw their mom or dad, never saw their brother or sisters. They wanted badly to see. There were people whose bodies didn't work properly. Uh, They couldn't walk to the temple to worship. They couldn't engage in meaningful work with their hands. John tells us a lot of people are suffering, but Jesus only heals one person. Why just this man? It's not because Jesus doesn't know all about the suffering. I mean, he's standing there watching it. It's not because Jesus lacks compassion. John makes it real clear. He has never known a person with a heart as loving as Jesus. Some people believe it's because this is the only man who really has enough faith to get healed. Uh, This is a very common teaching in our day. We see it in uh, proclaimed by high profile, popular faith healers in the media. Uh, If you believe enough, if you claim boldly enough, you can be healed. You can expect a miracle. And the corollary is, If individuals or a church is not experiencing dramatic healing, then it's because they lack faith or they haven't devoted themselves adequately to developing a healing ministry. So maybe that's what's going on in this text. Maybe this is a story to show that miracles only go to those whose faith is strong enough to claim them. Let's take a closer look at this. First, I'd like you to notice that in verse 6, we're told Jesus approaches this man. Uh, This man is at the pool every day. Uh, He would have made his living there as a beggar. And usually in stories of healing, the person who wants to be healed comes to Jesus, but not here. 
Jesus initiates the contact. Then notice the question Jesus asks in verse six. Do you want to get well? What kind of question is that? Do you want to get well? When was the last time you heard someone ask a dumb question? Uh, One of my favorite examples was written by Ken Davis. Uh, He said he was on a plane one time, uh, sitting on a newspaper. So he was sitting on the paper. And someone next to him asked him, are you reading that paper? And only someone like Ken Davis would do this. He said, yes. He stood up, turned the page, and then sat back down. Uh, We all ask dumb questions at times. It's kind of an occupational hazard of human beings. Well, Jesus is posing a question here that's got to make you scratch your head. I mean, the answer seems so obvious. Why would you ask a man who's been disabled for 38 years, do you want to get well? Who wouldn't want to get well? Isn't that the whole point of uh, laying by the pool every day? It seems kind of insensitive, doesn't it? All right, so keep this in mind. We'll come back to this. Notice the the response of this man in verse 7. Sir, the sick man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. A word of background here. Some Bibles have a footnote for verse 4. And you'll notice it talks about there being a kind of spring there uh, where the water is being uh, stirred up. Uh, There was a spring or artesian well at this pool, and when it was bubbling, there was an old tradition or superstition that an angel was stirring the waters and whoever got to them first would be healed. And now you need to know that this is not a part of scripture. A scribe added it to the manuscript long after the Gospel of John was written. Uh, That's why it's there as a footnote, if it's there at all. You see, people sometimes have a tendency to want to make healing into a mechanism or a a technique that they can manipulate or control. And that may be uh, what's going on with this guy. At any rate, Jesus asks him, do you want to be whole? Do you want to get well? And the man doesn't actually answer Jesus's question. He doesn't say yes. He gives reasons why he isn't able to be the first one to get into the water when it's stirred up. And John is kind of letting us know that this guy's excuses are Uh, not legit excuses. This has been going on for 38 years. I mean, in 38 years, he would have been able to get a little community of friends together to get him down to the water. I mean, he he might have saved enough money from begging and paid someone to get him down to the water. He could have tried to persuade people like the persistent widow in one of Jesus' stories or like the Canaanite woman until people gave in to his persistence. He might have had himself laid by the pool so that he could be right next to it. He doesn't do any of these things. What's more amazing than this, than these excuses, is this man doesn't even reply to a clear offer Jesus is making him. Remember, this is Jesus. I mean, he's the healer. His healing ministry was electrifying the country. People are approaching Jesus from everywhere, grasping at the hem of his garment, breaking through roofs to actually get to him. Jesus doesn't ask the man, why haven't you gotten to the pool? He asks, do you want to be well? And this man never says, yes, could you do that? I put my trust in you. He just gives excuses about why he can't make it down to the water. You know, it's been fascinating this week to look at the different amounts of faith people demonstrate in Jesus in different healing stories in the New Testament. 
the Canaanite woman that we looked at at the beginning of this series had unshakable faith in Jesus's compassion. Uh, they kind of sparred back and forth about whether or not uh, uh, he should heal her daughter, if you remember the story. And then she says, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. And he healed her daughter. The leper in Mark 2 is much less certain of Jesus' compassion. He said to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. The centurion in Matthew 8 has unprecedented faith in Jesus' power. He says, you don't even have to come to my home. Just say the word. Uh, the father of a, a tormented son in Mark 9 is much less sure about Jesus' power. He says to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, if I can, I mean, everything is possible to the one who believes. And the man says, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. And Jesus does. There are a wide variety of amounts of faith of people who approach Jesus. But here in John 5, Jesus doesn't even pursue a conversation with this man about faith. There are no questions, no sparring. He doesn't even ask this man, do you believe? He doesn't even ask him a second time if he wants to be well. Another thing, Jesus commends the Canaanite woman for her faith. He says, great is your faith. He commends the centurion. Truly, I've not found such faith in all of Israel. Question, where does Jesus commend the faith of this man in John 5? He doesn't. There's no indication that this man had greater faith than anyone else at the pool. There's no indication that this man had any faith at all. Apparently, Jesus does not view acts of healing primarily as a relief from suffering to be given out to those who have a high enough level of certainty. The reason he performs this act of healing is to reveal his identity, to authenticate his mission as the Messiah. The Jews believed, based on Isaiah 35.6, that the Messiah would one day cause the lame to leap like a deer. Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy. He's helping people to realize that he is, in fact, the Messiah mentioned by the prophet Isaiah. So he cuts right to the chase with this guy. Pick up your mat and walk. And the guy does. All right, I want to pause here. We'll come back to this story in just a moment. If you're new to faith in Jesus or simply exploring faith, stories of the miraculous might feel a little too mystical or too much of a stretch to believe. You might even doubt that miracles are real. And I want to tell you that's okay. One of the 12 men closest to Jesus dealt with doubt and was forever tagged with the skeptical moniker. Some of those same men even doubted when seeing Jesus after his resurrection. And yet Jesus still sends them out to tell others what they'd seen and heard. Almost everyone experiences some kind of doubt at some point in their faith journey. And here's what I want you to know. Belief and doubt can coexist. Theologian and philosopher Paul Tillich put it this way, Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is one element of faith. You see, it's not the enemy and something that needs to be fought. Instead, doubt can and should lead to a deeper exploration of your faith and thereby a deeper relationship with God. I encourage you not to face your doubts alone, but find others who are safe doubt companions who have embraced their doubts and emerged with a stronger faith because of it. 
This is one reason why we are so passionate about the spiritual growth initiative we launched this year and continue to work on content and resources that will help you in your journey toward Christ-centered living. Now, we still have the question of the miraculous. Jesus telling this man to get up and walk. Let's rejoin Matt as we continue in the story and discover just what Jesus is capable of. All right, now I want you to think about something. Can Jesus heal? Yes, he can. One of my favorite writings about Jesus is written by Dallas Willard. Uh, Listen to what he says about how powerful Jesus is. At the literally mundane level, Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it wine. That knowledge also allowed him to take a few pieces of bread, some little fish, and feed thousands of people. He could create matter from the energy he knew how to access from right where he was. He knew how to transform the tissues of the human body from sickness to health and from death to life. He knew how to suspend gravity, interrupt weather patterns, and eliminate unfruitful trees without a saw or axe. He only needed a word. Death was not something others imposed on him. He explained it to his followers. In the moment of crisis, he could at any time call for 72,000 angels to do whatever he wanted. He plainly said, nobody takes my life. I give it up by choice. I am in position to lay it down and I am in position to resume it. My father and I have worked this all out. All these things show Jesus' cognitive and practical mastery of every phase of reality, physical, moral, and spiritual. He is not just nice. He is brilliant. He is the the smartest man who ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of world history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. This is the Jesus who says, pick up your mat and walk. So could Jesus heal? Yes, absolutely. John says in John 20, 30, and 31, Jesus performed many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I think it's accurate to say that Jesus' primary purpose in healing in the New Testament is not to eliminate suffering. I mean, that will come one day. He's committed to that. But that day has not yet come. His primary purpose was to let people know his identity so that people could put their trust in him and find life in him. So can Jesus heal? Yes. He's the master over every phase of reality. Can we make healing happen by having enough faith? No, I don't think so. Here's a true story. I have a friend who knows a longtime pastor who is deeply into the belief that Christians with enough faith will be healed of anything, absolutely anything. If you have any sickness, any injury, he believes if you have enough faith, you'll be healed of it. And ironically, this guy is bald, and he believes that if he had enough faith, he would have a full head of hair. (laughs) I'm not making this up. I talked to a number of people this week with long-term physical problems in the area of illness or injury, Uh, One friend has lived with paralysis in his legs for over 20 years. He's been in the church his whole life. 
I mean, he loves God with humility and an uncomplaining spirit. I can only hope I might grow into someday. He told me how sometimes people ask him, have you prayed for healing? And he says, yes. And sometimes people will say, well, you must not have enough faith. Listen, teaching people that a lack of healing indicates a lack of faith does massive spiritual damage. And I believe contradicts the plain teaching of scripture. It neglects the biblical record of the apostle Paul, who despite his prayers was never delivered from his thorn in his flesh. It neglects the biblical record that suffering, including uh, physical suffering was the norm, not the exception for Jesus's closest followers. Now, don't get me wrong here. Jesus is the master of healing and Jesus invites us to partner with him in prayer. He can heal and he will heal. But whether he heals in this life or in the life to come is not always for us to know. And whenever he heals, I mean, it always comes as a mystery and as a gift. One day it came to this man in Bethesda. Let's look back at the story. Uh, Try to put yourself in this scene for a moment. For 38 years, this man has been paralyzed, living as a beggar without help or hope. If this was today, it would mean he was paralyzed since 1983. From 1983 until right now, day after day, month after month, year after year. And then in an instant, this man, Jesus, comes and heals him. So what does this man do? I mean, does he bathe Jesus' feet in tears, you know, of love like the forgiven woman at Simon's house? Does he run back to Jesus like the leper who had been healed to pour out his gratitude? Does he tell everyone the good news about Jesus like the Samaritan woman at the well? No, he doesn't say a word. He doesn't do a thing. He picks up his mat and walks away. It gets worse. In verse 12, some Jewish leaders hostile to Jesus ask him, Who told you to pick up your mat? I mean, they look at this man, they don't see a miracle. They see a violation of the law. That's all they see. Notice the man's response in verse 13. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I don't know. I didn't catch his name. Got away too fast. This man didn't even bother to find out the name of the one who healed him. After 38 years of helplessness and hopelessness, it, get, it gets worse. Look at verse 14. Now, once again, in, in verse 14, it's Jesus taking initiative with the man. Jesus has a kind of follow-up session with him and uh, makes a very shocking statement. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus says, stop sinning. The clear meaning here being that he's been involved in some ongoing sin since his healing that Jesus is telling him he must end. This is kind of a shocking thing for Jesus to say. What's going on here? Well, there's a good chance that this man has gone back to his old way of life. Jesus finds him again in this common area where people would go if they want to beg. I think it's very possible that the sin he's involved in here is he's trying to deceive people and pretend like he's still paralyzed. He's coming to the same spot very early in the morning, laying on the same mat, trying to hustle people into supporting him. So when Jesus comes and publicly affirms his wellness, see you are well again, I mean, he's blowing the guy's cover. 
You can picture the guy saying, hey, ixnay on the eeling hay, will you? He doesn't want to go back to work. He doesn't want to learn a trade. He doesn't want to have to expend the effort. He clings to his old way of life, his old brokenness. Now, why would he do this? Maybe it's because it's easy. Maybe it's because he's afraid to try something new. This is a story of the sin of ingratitude. This is like the prodigal son saying, uh, like, I, I think I'll just stay here with the pigs and blow off my father. This is like the lost sheep saying, I think I'll hide here in my lostness and elude the shepherd who longs to bring me home. Well, whatever is going on, Jesus, who cannot stand to see a human being choose to throw their life away, speaks very stern words to him. Stop sinning. Something worse may happen. There are worse things than physical suffering. It's possible to choose to live with a deformed soul. Stop sinning. Something worse may happen. Now, this is the climactic moment of this story. This is the hinge on which everything turns. Uh, Even more than the physical healing, this is this man's moment. And Jesus watches. Will the man get it? Will he fall to his knees? Will he repent of his sin? Will he receive healing for his soul? No. He turns and walks away. And in verse 15, he goes to Jesus' mortal enemies and says, I found out his name. It's Jesus. The man you're hunting, his name is Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, this is the beginning of the persecution of Jesus. I won't take time to read it right now, but you can look at verses 16, 17, and 18. They begin to try to kill Jesus, and they won't stop until they succeed. And it begins with this man. Jesus would pay for his life for this. Do you want to get well? Jesus asked. You understand he's speaking not just about physical healing. He uses quite a rare word. It's, it could be translated whole. Do you want to be whole? Uh, or it could be translated sound. It was used in the New Testament to describe sound teaching. Do you want to be sound? Do you want to leave this way of life? Jesus asked. Understand there will be some changes. You won't be seen as a victim anymore. You'll have to embrace new challenges, new responsibilities. Do you want this really? See, there's kind of a cost to wholeness. Jesus' offer to heal was not and is not a promise to a problem-free, suffering-free life. You see, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he asked this question. He knew exactly what he was doing. Do you want to be known as one who is healed by me? Do you want to be associated with me? Do you want to take the heat and opposition from powerful forces that that this will involve? Do you want to be pressured and persecuted for my sake? No, the man did not. He would prefer to betray the one who healed him. He wanted to avoid suffering, maybe. He didn't want to be whole. He didn't want to be healed. So let me ask you, do you want to be whole? Really? If you do, you need to know this. We cannot fix ourselves. Some time ago, someone in our family, I can't remember who it was, uh, but someone dropped a piece of jewelry down the drain in the bathroom sink. And I didn't have a clue about what to do to get it out. And so I humbled myself and I called a friend who is a plumber and he described for me the way things work. 
he said, open the doors under the sink and you'll see some pipes. And I opened the door and there were pipes and I got chills. It was like he, he was there with me. <laughs> and then he described for me how they would be shaped and the loop around one of the pipes and what to do. And I did it. And it happened just the way he described. And I got the piece of jewelry out. But I had to humble myself first. Uh, I had to get help. Do you want to be whole? If so, you cannot fix yourself. So today is about humbling ourselves and getting help. We have a prayer team that meets almost every day and they do the single most powerful thing that Christ followers can do, which is pray. James 5.16 says, pray for one another so that you may be healed. And that's what this team does every week. Uh, they don't use that time uh, to give each other advice. They don't do planning. They don't do counseling. Uh, those are not bad things to do, but that's not what they do. They just pray and they ask Jesus to heal. And some of you need to just ask for prayer. Maybe you're facing physical brokenness, an injury or an illness. Maybe you're afraid of what the future is gonna look like. Maybe you're suffering from emotional brokenness, going through real deep waters of depression or sadness and can't fix yourself. Maybe you're experiencing relational brokenness. Maybe your marriage is hurting and you're trying to hide so no one knows and you hardly even admit it to yourself. Maybe you're desperately worried about one of your kids or one of your parents or a friend. Maybe you feel so alone. Some of you I know are in the grip of some pattern or habit or addiction or sin and you keep telling yourself that it's gonna change and you keep trying to just kind of settle for manageability. Maybe you feel broken by failure, either financially or vocationally. Maybe you feel broken as a parent or maybe just as a Christian. This is real simple in scripture. Pray for one another. And so I've talked to some of our prayer team members this week about being available this week for anyone who needs prayer. Uh, we have a virtual prayer room uh, we'd like to invite you into so that we can pray for you. Uh, members of our prayer team want to pray for you. James 5.16 says, pray for one another. That's what our team wants to do for you. There's just power in prayer. There just is. I want you to see a video of Brandon Lake leading a song as we close. And I'd like to ask you to take the time during the song and just reflect on where you need to be made whole, uh, where you need healing. And if God clearly brings something to your mind, would you send me an email at matt at blueoakschurch.org? I'd like to schedule a time for you to join members of our prayer team in our virtual prayer room this week. There is power in prayer, and we wanna pray for you. All right, let's watch Brandon Lake lead this song. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.